Thanks for joining us. Welcome back. I have uh, one of my best friends on here, Shane Hennon. Shane is the basketball coordinator at the Sanford Pentagon in beautiful Sioux yep. Falls, South Dakota. <laughs> Shane does a great job, obviously, navigating through the pandemic, like all of us, took over that position a little over a year ago, has done just an absolutely unbelievable job um, blowing up that program in a great way. So, uh, Shane, thanks for hopping on. I am excited. I'm excited to talk. Um, uh, hopefully we can help some people out there and uh, help some coaches and some trainers with uh, some stuff like that. Yeah, and I know that you and I have some stuff that we've been that we're releasing um, in the past week on Facebook. We're going to talk a little bit about that a private Facebook group that's going to have a ton of exclusive content. We're not charging anybody anything for it. I think we got some really cool stuff planned. Yep. I want to talk a little bit about your summer. Now, we've mentioned this before, but Sioux Falls, South Dakota, not necessarily known as a hotbed for professional talent for just hanging out in the off season, <laughs> going on vacation. You had Reed Travis in there, yep. Justin Patton. Reed is in um, in Japan right now playing really well, but you guys kind of transformed his game this summer. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're definitely not uh, a big tourist destination. We're not LA, New York or anything like that. Um, but we do have a great facility and uh, players love to be here. And to be honest, for a guy like Reed Travis, who is super dedicated and, and uh, just wants the work, this is the kind of the perfect spot to lock in. Um, but yeah, I mean, Reed was here through the pandemic, um, was with us for like almost a half a year, five and a half months, five months. So we had a ton, a ton of work in with him. Um, he was at the field house lifting. He was on court with me twice a day, um, taking care of his body. I mean, he was doing everything. He got his sweat tested. He, he got his nutrition down. I mean, he, he even got tested for his body fat percentage. Um, so he's all into all that stuff. And he had a, he had a really good summer with us. Um, I'm excited for him to come back. He's, he's doing really well. Like you said, in Japan, um, they love him out there. He's playing well. Um, and you know, his game is kind of reflecting on a lot of the stuff that we worked on, uh, this summer, which is really good to see. So mm -hmm. yeah, excited to get a, another off season with him. In. So he, so he's a guy that I had the opportunity to work with a little bit and yep. being in the twin cities area where he's from going to De La Salle high school, like they, they've won a million state titles. Like he goes to Stanford. He become you know, has a great like record setting career out there. Uh, he's an excellent student. Um, yep. We actually joke. I think it will say this, that you and I are in a group text with him about a week yeah. or so ago. I saw that Stanford <laughs> is the most difficult school in the country to get into. And Kentucky is the easiest school in yeah, the country to get into. So he both. hit both ends of the spectrum on that, but just an absolute grinder. Like if there yep. is a picture of somebody that you're going to put next to that word, it's, it's a guy like Reed Travis, but yep. gets to Kentucky and starts to see like, okay, I might work harder than you, but like I have to be more skilled yep. than some of these freak athletes. So tell tell us a little bit about what you yeah. what went into your summer and and how you almost in a sense treated him like a perimeter player. Yep, it, it, like you just said, it was, it was a lot of perimeter work, and it was um, you know it was focused on laying down a foundation of skill work. So um, introducing some new things to him, and and you know he came to me already very skilled like you said, a very hard worker. So 
you know, the development process um, didn't take as long as it normally would just because of how hard he works and how skilled he already mm -hmm. was. Um, yeah, no, it was a, it was a ton of perimeter work. Uh, like you said, we treat him like a guard. There was times in workouts where we didn't worry about what position he was playing, what spot on the floor. It was more like, can you do this on time um, in the right sequence? And can you command your feet to do something very specific, whether that was stop and go something in the mid post, uh, playing out of actions out of a short roll or pick and roll or anything like that. Um, it was very specific, um, detailed movements that we were having him do. And he actually liked that, um, and gained a ton of confidence from that, um, throughout the summer. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a combination of a lot of things. Um, I think the goal was just, like I said, to lay down that, that, uh, foundation of skill work and, and just kind of see his game blossom after that. Yeah. When, when you guys came to the twin cities in, I don't know if that was June or July and you guys yeah. had already had a couple months in, um, just the transformation that I saw was just like, holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> um, just no, as a guy who just completely transformed his game, one of those, the people that we've said before that took quarantine and said like, I'm going to use this yeah. to my advantage. I have no distractions. I have nothing to do. I'm going to completely yep. transform my game. So I think it's, it's fascinating when you look at a post player. And I think the, the best compliment that we give a post player is man, you know, he or she has excellent feet. They have awesome yep. feet. And as you you see the game is starting to reflect uh, post-play with, with great feet. And I think, you know, to some people it's like, oh, well, that doesn't make sense because it's always the way that it's been. Yeah. But what we're seeing is we're seeing more perimeter players post up, whether yep. we're just going to ISO somebody on the block or we, you know, get into a dribble. You know, instead of just jump stopping in the paint, we're now able to kind of get to a dribble release and then turn that into a post up. You see like Wisconsin and Villanova and so many of those programs doing that. And yet when it comes to post player development, you know, you worked with Justin Patton this summer. It was a first yep. round pick of the Timberwolves. Um, you, you know, we were working with all these, these bigs. And I think it's so fascinating because a lot of coaches are like panicked that if you do like one perimeter thing, I know them, that they're well, automatically going to be like that for all time. That's the thing is I think people are afraid that they're going to pick up all these bad habits, which can happen. But, you know, people like that or, or players like that are um, so skilled and, you know, a little bit farther down the road. That is just added, added benefits to their game when they can start learning some of that stuff. And, uh, no, we were not worried about Reed losing his uh, ability to bruise and, and uh, push some guys around because he will always have that. That's kind of engraved into his game. Um so that and was engraved that you, into Cole Saber's head. Yeah, here. yeah. If you look back at my Twitter, you'll be able to see one of our trainers here get a nice elbow shot to the face uh, from Reed and almost gave him a concussion. Um, That's no, okay. I, mean, I got I got like a scar yeah. from Jake Layman's elbow in the back of my yeah. head. So Cole and I are are yeah. injury buddies. I I try to avoid those situations. Um, <laughs> You're smarter no, than I, both of us. Yeah, I mean he just. Uh, that was the very first conversation we had when we sat down. I was like, okay, what do we want to do? And he's like, you know what? I already have all these these habits of um, being able to push people around and stuff like that, and and I can always use that when I need to. Um, now it was like, okay, how do we add 5, 10, 15 more years to your game? What are you going to be doing when you're 30, 35? Um, can we add it now so you can use it a little bit now? And then, you know, when you get, you know, older, you don't have to push so many people around. You can just become skilled. Um, mm -hmm. 
yeah, no, that was a big thing. Just getting getting the skill <laughs> skill work done and getting the footwork in there. No, I, I I love it, and I'm a huge believer. You know, working with I did stuff with Jared Berger and Cole yep. Aldridge, just some of these bigs that that don't necessarily play on the perimeter all that much. I was like, dude, we gotta challenge your feet so yeah. we can do drop steps. Like we like, let's be honest. Like we can. Where's gonna be so many studies on attention yeah. span for young kids coming out of the pandemic and online learning? Like we have to do things to challenge. Mm-hmm. to challenge kids. I think it was really interesting a couple of years ago. It was like Pine City in Minnesota had the article come out and like, I think it was like the Wall Street Journal or some magazine that, or newspaper that was like, uh, not a sports one, but talking about the analytics of like shooting threes and how they play like Grinnell and they sure. do all these different things. In And the, the coach had a line that just stuck out to me. He's like, I don't think I'm going to get players in the gym to work on post moves, but I think I can get them in the gym <sighs> to shoot 400 threes a day. Right. And right. when I when I heard that, I was like, "Amen!" Like, absolutely. So we're talking about attention span. We're talking about creativity to yep. get them to keep them entertained. You know, like you you see, like the, the average person or the average teenager has an attention span of shorter than a goldfish. And yep. so we need to come up. I, that's my opinion. We need to come up with creative ways to yep. challenge kids rather than the old school and and like I'm the king of old school. Like I grew up that way. Like we play yep. defense, we're going to beat yep. you by 25 and you're and we're only going to score 50. Like do the math. Yep. And so I don't know, give me your give me your thoughts on that like for creating yeah. habits like tough kids but also yep. kids that are that are and focused. I'll go back to even a little bit on Reed too is like that guy is one of the most diligent, disciplined. He'll show up to work every single day but we had five and a half months. Eventually he's going to kind of get sick of doing some of the same stuff. So, you know, it could be read, it could be any kid. You need to find ways as a coach or a skills trainer to tie in concepts in different ways. So whether that's putting them on the perimeter um, as a post player and then putting the, you know, the guards down um, as post players and have them just experience some new things. Um, You know, and we've had conversations about this, but a lot of that footwork is so universal that if players just can become skilled, it's going to pour into all parts of the game. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I tend to worry less about position specific training, especially with youth players, especially with high school players. Um, I think there's time for it um, when they get to, you know, higher level high school, college, if they, or pro, if they have a very specific role, but mm-hmm. yeah, like you, you really do have to be creative with a lot of these kids and you know how they work and, you got to make them want to come, want to come back and mm-hmm. and pour time into you know working on their game. I think it's I get a lot of things from coaches. I, I think this is super interesting because um, it's my goal to put these players in a situation where they can best succeed. Yeah. Um, and like for example, if we're going to talk about like ball screen footwork. Okay, there's a I work with a lot of programs and have in-depth conversations with these coaches, but some coaches I I, I don't. Yeah. I just because I don't have that relationship with them. And so when it like when we're talking like if I'm working with a player, you know, from Mound West Tonka, I've worked with them for 3 years and I talk to Andre Phillips 2-3 times a week. Yep. Like I have a pretty good idea of the situations like on the floor that they're going to be in. So I can help, I can help address that. But if I'm working with a kid that I don't work with their program, I'm going to try to, I don't, I don't actually want to try to teach them some of those things. I don't think that's my responsibility and I don't want to help 
or don't want to unintentionally create some bad habits. Like I want to teach you the, the basis or the purpose of what we're trying to accomplish. And if your coach puts you in a different spot, that purpose might change or the technique might change, but you have this overall view of what we're trying to get to. And, and that's how that's personally the way that I think the game should be taught from a trainer's perspective. Cause yep. these kids are not getting in a game and like in the heat of the moment being like, I'm going to get to that thing that Shane taught me, right. that thing that right. Reed taught me. And I think people like, we don't like, we think that that's what happens. And there's times like, Oh, in a timeout or like a mm-hmm. dead, dead ball. Like, okay, I got to make an adjustment, but we get to these things that we have developed as habits and it's yeah. reactionary. So to go back to like, whether it's Reed Travis in the post and you're, you're solidifying his footwork so that he's able to like, like you said, have control of his feet. I think that to me is yeah. what's going to, to change a player's game. And I, I think it's a lot to do with fundamentals. I mean, uh, I think coaches and, you know, everybody's really anybody that's, you know, involved with player development is heavy on fundamentals, but what are fundamentals? Like what, you know, is it just this and this, is it just Mike and drill and this drill and this drill, or, you know, are some of these stops mixed in or are some of these different ways to get your shot off mixed in? Um, the fundamentals are huge. And that, those are the things that are going to create those habits. So, you know, whether I'm working on getting somebody off of my hip on a drive, or maybe I need to create separation um, when I'm going into a pick and roll to set my defender up, you're going to need the same skill. It doesn't matter if you're learning a pick and roll concept or if you're bringing the ball up the floor. Um, a lot of that fork stuff just pours into everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm just huge on the, on the footwork stuff. Like you said, especially if you have some kids that's like, you know, this kid's from this school, this kid's from this school and you know, you got a group going, it's like, well, they all kind of run different things. So let's just work on, you know, basketball skill and make these guys more skilled so they can go to the programs and be ready for everything. Now, I think, like you said, the issue with that is if I teach a kid something and their coach says, Hey, you can't do that. Then the kid shouldn't do it. And yes, and and they hold up. They think that we're telling them like, screw your coach. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm like, if you, if your coach says, don't do this and you say, Reed told me to do this, I will (laughs) smack you so hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and that's just a conversation you have to have with the kids is like, I want to create instincts and habits where you can just naturally play and be more confident in your system, whatever role it is. Um, and if your coach tells you to do something a cer- certain way, then you, that's like, that's your team. That is your coach. You are responsible for your decisions with that team. Um, I just hope that we can help the kids, you know, kind of just play naturally. Mm-hmm. No, I, I could, I think you said that really well. I mean, our goal is to uh, put tools in the toolbox of a player yep. and, yep. and it, I, we want these coaches to like come and be like, Hey, we have access to all these tools we can we can utilize them however we see fit you know we yep. talk about like skill development and fundamentals i use the word you used it earlier today absolutes yeah uh, it, it's a word that is is very fascinating to me i see so many people that are like you know we like we are always doing this or we are never doing this and there's there's not a whole lot like based on the situation when it comes to those things. So I want to talk about absolutes. I yeah. think that 
personally, and I, I laugh about this, that the basketball gods have a way of, if I were to say, Shane, do not do this. The next time down the floor, what I just told you not to do will probably be exactly yep. what the situation calls for. Um, talk to me a little bit, a yep. little bit on your, th- on your thoughts on that. I just think if you put yourself like if coaches or trainers put themselves back to being a player, if somebody were to tell you that you can't do this, it's just like, it's just a little bit frustrating. You're like, I just want to play. Like if somebody forces me to jump off two feet, I will. If somebody, you know, if the situation calls for me to jump off, you know, my outside foot on one foot, then I'm going to need to do that. Um, I just want to feel skilled enough where I can do both and just make that read myself, which is pretty much what basketball is about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I have a couple stories on that, but, you know, I was talking to a, an, an NAI coach and uh, I was asking him about one dribble pull-ups because of the analytics and everything like that. And he goes, you know, we don't shoot a lot of pull-ups, but I got two guards that are really freaking good and they get to shoot the pull-ups. But the other guys do not get to. They have to either shoot the three or go to the rim or pass. And then, you know, talking to a high school kid here that's like a little freshman um, and he comes up to me after a summer of workouts, he goes, yeah, you know, my coach won't let me shoot any of the floaters or those little touch shots that we worked on. And this kid is like a hundred pounds, maybe five, 10, I don't know. And uh, his coach is not going to let him do that. His coach says, you know, you can only do the two foot finishes and you got to go up strong and draw fouls and which is really good. But uh, if you got a kid that's his size and you're, you're telling the whole team, you know, this is how we do it. That kid's just not going to have a lot of success. And, you know, I do think it's okay to tell certain kids like you can do this, but you can't and not be worried about if you're going to hurt their feelings or not. Given that honest feedback, like, look, this kid, you know, little Johnny worked on his touch shot all summer. Looks like he's able to hit it in our practices. You know, he's allowed to do that. This kid just got done playing football, hasn't touched a basketball since last season is bricking touch shots. You should just go up strong or pass it. Um, I think we need to get back to that. I know that a lot of coaches do that. I also know there's a lot of coaches that have absolutes, you know, and it, it could bring success, but I think in the long run, um, there's going to be a lot of players that struggle or can't, you know, fully reach their potential based on those absolutes. No, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think you have certain players with limitations. Like I, <clears throat> I look at Duluth right now. Uh, their division two men's basketball program. They're like their whole rotation. They got like seven or eight guys that I've worked with and Austin Andrews, their post player. They, they almost knocked off number two Northern state on Saturday and they're yep. playing 90% of their guys are freshmen on yep. Friday. Austin Andrews is six, five post player, 20 points and 13 rebounds. Doesn't really jump that well. Not super athletic, but he's super crafty and he's unbelievably smart. Like 20 and 13 in a division two game as a, as an 18 year old. And there's certain things that he's going to do that I'm telling other post players, like you can't, you can't do that. But Austin's elite at it. And no one's, no one's going to say a word about that. We, we use like the macro numbers to break down some of these micro situations where you're like, Hey, I tell players like, dude, the floater is a floater is one of the most inefficient shots in basketball. Mm -hmm. But we also have coaches talking about we need to get two feet in the paint. So you're telling me that you get two feet in the paint and you are five feet from the rim. And that help side guy comes up and doesn't let. So we're just like, you got to make this shot. Like you have to be able to make this shot. Yeah. If you get this deep and you can't make this shot, you can't play. Yeah. And so rather than, than 
telling kids that they just can't do things. I think like put some pressure on them or encourage yeah, them to develop, yeah. to develop that. And the other thing that I hear from these, these coaches are a lot of coaches is that players are, have a difficult time making decisions. Okay. Yeah. Well, if we're just telling players, yeah, don't do this. You like, they need to understand the why, why shouldn't I do this? And so there are, I, I try to say, like, Hey, in this situation, let's just talk through it. So you yeah. got a defender on this hip. So on the, on your left hip balls in your right hand, how are we going to finish? Yeah. Instead of saying, don't do that. Cause the next time down the floor, you might need to, but they also need to understand why we're talking through this situation so right. that they can eventually make the decision. So if we don't ever put players in a position to make decisions, why are we, why are we confused that they suck at making decisions? 100%. Just making that decision for them, I think is the tough part, but and I, I think too that the the speed of the game goes so fast for many of these players, and so when you're talking about making the decisions for them and, and predetermining everything, there's never a you know ultimately where you're telling somebody or giving them an absolute as a way to solve a problem, right? Yeah. They did something wrong. Uh, we need to we need to solve this problem. So how do we how do we fix this? But if we don't, if we just say, hey, here's your band aid and not understand what caused the issue. I think, I don't think we're doing the, the player any, any justice that way. Yeah. And, and to be honest, if I look at, you know, my skill, skill development philosophy, a lot of it is heavy skill building, but there is also a huge part of it that um, is read and react and instinct building concept learning. Um, putting players in situations where these skills have to be tested. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, we have videos all over the place. There's a million ways to do that stuff. Um, but I think instead of giving these absolutes, you, you let them um, develop their skills and some kids are going to develop faster and, and, you know, be able to hit certain type of shots and finishes that others can't. Um, but then you put them, you know, pre or preseason practices and in situations like that, where you put them in these situations and, you know, they can learn first, firsthand, like, Hey, you know, I'm going to have to probably finish off a two because that is my best chance of finishing. Mm -hmm. Right. Instead of me saying, look, you'll, you're never going to be able to shoot a floater, um, mm -hmm. or you're never going to be able to finish this way. Um, I think one giving them roles and then two, putting them in situations where they can develop those things and also just learn from their, for themselves, um, you know, almost as an eye opener or, or even more feedback to the player. And, you know, like I, you know, I need to work on this um, cause I'm not very good at it. I, th I think that um, when we, we talk about this stuff, we have, you have people all over the spectrum in how they view this stuff. You have old school, which is like my background. We're going to, like yep. I said, we're going to beat you by 25 and only score 50. You have yep. that mindset. But then you also have this mix of innovation, like everything. I was reading a thing. I think I might have actually sent it to you. It was like 20 different types of bias. And there was this infographic yep. that was really interesting. Yep. Did I send that to you? Yes, you did. Yeah, yep. very interesting. Like there are certain people that think like the first information they hear on a topic is the most important and nothing will overrule that. There's are right. people that think the most recent thing that they've heard is the most important. There are people that think like innovation, like let's find b better ways to do everything. And and we miss, I think when we're, we're working through all that, I think oftentimes 
we miss like the core, like the issues. Yep. Like you're talking about reading and reacting and putting players in a situation. We just had somebody in a Facebook group ask a question today about, um, you know, there's there's this guy and he says, you know, don't read the defense, just get to a move and then get to a counter. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah. I understand the purpose is we're trying to like oversimplify the game of basketball and make it easy so that these kids don't have to make as many reads or we could just teach them what to read. Yeah. <laughs> like if I have the basketball and I'm working you out, Shane, I'm like, we want to attack the high foot or the closest hip. So if we don't have one of those, how do we force the defense to react? How do we force that reaction and then make a read? The game is really simple. If I get the ball outside of your frame, I'm going to go. If you slide to cut me, I'm going to go the other way. So I honestly think that we can get super, super detailed with it, yep. break all that down, and then oversimplify it. Like, yep. okay, ball and foot outside of frame, see ya. Attack yeah, high yep. foot, see ya. And I don't think we do a great job of actually teaching. I, to be honest, I know we don't do a good job of teaching that because I talk to players that play at Power 5 conferences at the college level, yeah. and their coaches can't correct them. Like well, we'll just get there in one dribble, and it's like, how? That makes no sense. Yeah. Help them. Well, and I see it a lot in the training world. Um, whether you believe in the footwork stuff or whatever, um, people are being put through movements or drills. But there's exactly what you just said. There's not a lot of like, this is why you would do this, or this is what you you'll be looking for. And then they throw them in these live situations and, you know, you just worked out for hours and hours and hours on all these skills, but you can't use it because you have yeah. no idea what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, you know, everybody hates the workout warriors and the people that look great during workouts. Um, that is how you get them to transition into actually using that stuff in a game is explain to them what they're looking for, you know, give them the tools, explain how, put them in a situation where they have to use it and then stuff will translate a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. I've used the analogy that you can, you can cut a tree down with an ax, but it goes a lot faster with a chainsaw. Yeah. Like that there's nothing wrong with the ax. There's like, there's, there really isn't, but like how, how can we do this the most efficient way possible? Yeah. How do, like, how do we help? How do we help people grow? I think answering the word why is super important. Cause if you can answer that, that's where you're going to find your purpose. Um, I think that there's so much stuff, so much of the stuff that we teach players, we need to know the why. Uh, they need to know the why of you know why we're going to do this and when we're going to do this. But I also think one of the challenging things that that I come across are coaches that are unable to answer why they don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, like for example, I have like I love dialogue. Like I am legitimately in this college coach for seven years dad's a high school coach. Like I am in this for coaches. I don't view myself as a trainer. I view myself as a coach. I work with coaches. I'm in this to have dialogue and, and to help people. But like, there are so many things that coaches are, it's the same thing that, and I get in trouble because I sometimes handle my marriage like this, or my wife will be like, I need you to do this. And I'm like, I'm not saying that I'm not going to do it. I just need you to tell me why. Yeah. Like how many times are there, there are coaches they're like, we don't teach that. Well, why? Like, for example, like all these basketball myths, like get the ball off the palm of your hand. Yeah. Like, like why? Yeah. And they can't answer or they do answer. And it's like, well, it doesn't make sense. Or we jump stop every time. Like 
do you watch your team's film? Right. Because you don't. You you want to. It's either a speed stop or a stride stop. Just about everything. Yep. There are certain types that you get to jump stops, and a jump stop's not wrong, but like you're like, like you can't even explain the why. And so those, yep. I think, that's kind of going down another tangent. But I think that's what I've, in our conversations, you and I are both really passionate about that. Yeah. Um, because it's less about being right and more about like, hey, how do we chop that tree down with the chainsaw? Like, well, how are we gonna yeah. be efficient and grow our games? I think it's exactly what you just said. It's like you got to look at the facts. And the facts are going to be your film. What is happening and why? Mm -hmm. And if you want your program to be about jump stops or this, then it's, you know, your kids are going to have to use it and it's going to have to fit those kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've, I've told you this story before and, you know, I've told it to other people before too, but sitting in a a coach's clinic and, you know, the coach uh, is telling us that, you know, they only do jump stops. And then he shows us one of his drills, his passing drills. And I'm looking at these jump stops. I'm like, there's no way, you know, the way that they're performing with nobody guarding them, that they're going to be able to do that when somebody is guarding them. And uh, he was very passionate about his jump stops. And, and like you just said, there's obviously reasons for all sorts of stops. Um, but this guy was very particular about this. So I went back that night because I could not sleep because I was very – You texted me at like 2 in the morning. <laughs> I think I left that clinic instantly went to their huddle and YouTube and I was watching games two years in the past, a year and current year. And I watched maybe three, four, five games each year and saw very, I won't say the number, but very little effective jump stops. The only time they use a jump stop was when um, they're about to travel or they almost fell over just stuff like that. So, you know, as much as I love the guy's passion, um, if he were just to do the same homework as I did, he wouldn't see an, an effective jump stop, but they are spending, I don't know how many hours per year training their team to do something that they are not using, which is silly to me. I, I was funny. Cause that program's really good, right? Didn't they win Very a state good. title? Yep. yep. So I remember what you said to me, you said something like, cause the, the guy was like, we do this and we're really good at it. Like we throw two hand chest passes and we jump yeah. stop. And you text me, you're like, shit, you're like, Reed, they got girls like coming off ball screens, like throwing hook passes over the top. You're good because you can throw hook passes. And you're going yeah. to these coaches' clinics saying, like, we throw two hand chest passes. That was what makes us good. And, and th- to get to my point, we're not like, obviously, the guys won a lot of games. Like, yep. Like they're like not knocking the program, but we're like, Hey, like you have players that are, that are making plays and, and and making adjustments. I just think it's, it's very interesting to see what these coaches are teaching for me viewing the game. Well, let me backtrack. I think a lot of coaches view the game of basketball like flex. I go from here to here and then I have a screen and then I and we view it like this picture perfect game. Right. I view the game of basketball, it's me. I have nine other idiots out here. <laughs> Four of them I've hopefully practiced with a couple times and might be able to communicate with. Yeah. But I have no idea what's going on. This right. is mass chaos. So how do I adapt? How yeah. like I can't come off of here and jump stop and pit like I got bumped. Yeah. Like you think like they're the, just the going to defense let... isn't going to allow you just to do things like perfectly like you want. Like a drill. I think every coach loves these clean looking drills. 
Yes. And if you can do it in practice and it looks great, you're having a great day and you're having great practice. But like, is that drill or whatever concept really going to translate just because it looks good with nobody guarding you? I just, it's like, it's like what you posted in the Facebook group about the driving angles. Everybody wants that perfect straight line, one dribble, dribble drive. That just doesn't happen. There's people in the league that are the most skilled basketball players in the world that can't get there in one dribble. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, and I think there's a time and a place for perfection. Like, Hey, we're running three man weave or five man weave. Like the ball doesn't hit the floor five on O sets. Like there's a time and a place for accountability and perfection, like knock it off and lock in. But there's also like, we're talking about decisions and solving problems. And if, if we want everything to be picture perfect and we try to eliminate all of the chaos from our practices, I would argue that we're not even training for the game. We're not practicing for the game. We wonder why kids can't fix things in the game. Well, they're not allowed to fix them in practice. And I think like, I understand why. I'm not bashing coach. I understand why we want is we want to like these players to leave and feel pretty good about their practice, feel pretty good about all those things. But at the end of the day to like, how do we define success? Like, I think so many coaches define success as like we came into practice. We shot the ball. Well, we had zero turnovers. We did all this. And I would define success as like, dude, today was sloppy. And cause we challenged them today. Yep. Yep. And We're they growing. worked through some things, and I think we got better today. Now, tomorrow you might come back and say, like, hey, we need a pick-me-up day. Yesterday was yeah. brutal. But yeah. just because yesterday was brutal doesn't mean it was good. It's like how do we define success yep. And in this fight to where a lot of people seem to just, like, fight to eliminate all chaos when the game is 100%. Well, yeah, and, and going back to the, the development part, it's half the battle is creating an environment that mimics what you're going to see in a game. Um, and if I do a lot of read and react stuff, I got to, you know, I got to place people in the help side position. I got to put somebody on their hips to all that stuff. You mean you have to really think about, okay, if this is a game, this isn't going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the five on five, the drills, if you want the, the ball to not to touch the ground, you want them to jump stop perfectly towards the baseline, 10 toes, the baseline, all that stuff. That is fine for certain things, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just not. I mean, it's just not going to happen like that all the time. And one thing too, talking about training, there's still people that have seen your Instagram post that work out with me about you know, cleaning or just playing through the sloppy reps. People will dribble the ball off their knee, chase that thing down, and do a spin move or whatever they got to do to get back to the rim and, and get a line. But that, you know, that, there's a lot of kids that still use uh, kind of that post that you you posted a while back. Um, about just finishing the reps and and not everything has to be perfect. And I think Mm -hmm. not only talking about practice, but talking about skill development and and training sessions, I think that's got to be in there as well. And that's, that's coming from me, a guy with like OCD. Yeah. Like like be perfect. Like I have to do, uh, but like the game is not perfect. And so understanding that, like, I don't know, I I posted it was like Quentin Hooker played at North Dakota, like set all these records in the workout in the summer and he lost it. And, it's like, you know, Vince Carter, I think, said, like, the best alley-oop passes are bad passes. Yep. Right? Yep. Like, how many times does Kyrie Irving get to, like, a crazy spin move? You're like, wow, that was crazy. It was like, no, he screwed up. Yeah, he, he lost the just, ball. Yeah. He just was – what he was able to do was get it back. Yeah. He was able to make a play. And that's, like, how many of these kids, like, they go through this because all we are taught is perfection, perfection, perfection. And I 
and I think this is a terrible analogy, but I use it with everybody. So I'm going to share it. I think it's like driving, driving a car. I sell you a car, Shane, and I tell you it goes really fast, but I don't tell you how fast it goes. You have two ways to determine how fast the car goes. Mm-hmm. Number one, you you go to about 100 miles an hour and the steering wheel starts to shake and you go, okay, I, I think I got about 10 miles an hour more. Mm-hmm. And you can estimate. Or you just punch the gas to the floor and go till <laughs> the engine blows, yeah. right? And now you're like, well, blue at 115, probably good at about 110. Yep. Now, I think so many players take the the initial route of going kind of slow and be like, well, I, I think I think I have a little bit more in the tank. Yeah. Rather than like, dude, go. Yeah. And if you fall on your face, now you have a benchmark. Right. Of like, this doesn't work. Maybe actually that's the speed that is going to work. You right. just have to change something and make an adjustment. Yep. But but these kids are taught i was like and i think i naturally was i think i just naturally thought this was was taught like don't be sloppy mm-hmm. like i would rather throw every single pass as a chess pass on the money for an entire practice so that we were sharp and then i get in a game and i don't get an opportunity other than a rebound and an outlet i don't get an, everything's pass, like yeah. outside of my frame yeah in the name of perfection so, I don't know. I think that they're like one of the things that we talked about is, is a person's ability to, excuse me, have a, a critical thought. Yeah, and and even from my playing experience, I remember being in high school, and um, you know we did drills, but it was a lot of, and I loved this part about my high school coach. It was a lot of reading racks. It was a lot of one on two, um, bringing the ball up the floor, two on one, three on two, just decision making with different settings, and. Uh, I remember just, you know, making whatever play needed to happen. And then I get to college and it's way more structured. They want specific things. And I'm like, I am not good at this. Um, And I was, you know, in the back of my head, I'm worried about making the drill look good and less worried about, is this something that I'm actually going to use? Yeah. I don't know. I think, uh, think it's something to think about as a coach and and finding a balance because like we said there is a time and place to make things look good and and be disciplined but um if we're asking these players to be solid and and just react in a game then we got to create those settings and i think that this like this platform that we have and talking to people like we're not naive like when we're we're talking earlier about floaters and and shane you said like you know i think it's okay for you yep. to say like, Hey Shane, like you can't shoot that, but read you can like, yep. we also understand that your parents are nuts. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like, we're not going to like, I know that there are so many coaches that hear that and they're like, Shane, you don't know the moms and dads that are going to yep. be blowing up my phone. Oh, you told little Jimmy that he can't shoot this. Like, like, yep. like we get that. But what we want to start doing is we want to start like the dialogue to have the conversation. So instead of simply going, Hey, like we're going to throw this absolute no floaters. Let's start to cultivate this culture where we can have a, where we can have some changes. Like my right. a, a buddy of mine, Chris Vanderheide, who's an assistant at Gustavus. He was the head coach of the park center girls program in Minneapolis. 
area, Twin Cities area, for four years. They hadn't gone to the state tournament, and the first two years they win the state title. The next year they move up to Class 4A, and they go back to the state tournament twice. And one of the things that he said, he goes, well, dude, we don't have rules. Like, we don't have team rules. And I thought, like, man, that's crazy. I said, give me your reasoning. He goes, if I have team rules, that means I have to enforce them. Right. And so he's like, so off the court issues, if I got somebody that's a knucklehead and I have somebody that doesn't do anything wrong. So in this situation, you would obviously be the knucklehead and I would be the person who doesn't do anything <laughs> yep. wrong. But so if I don't do anything wrong and I act and I get in trouble once and like you already know, like, hey, like Reed has learned his lesson. This won't happen again. Right. Like. And Shane Hennon is the one who's the repeat offender, doesn't give two craps, and keeps, like, why should we have the same punishment? Right. Like, I've already, like, the punishment is to teach a lesson, right? Or, yeah. or you know, different things like that. So why, yeah. and, and so we talked about that. So I think that's the same thing from skill development standpoint. Like, dude, if I was in the gym all summer working and you weren't, like, and I've worked and I've worked on things. Then why should I have to be held down to th- right? Hundred percent. So I don't know. I go back and forth on that. Like I said, we're not naive. Like yeah. we want to have these conversations. We just want to start. I think our intent with this is is to start dialogue with with coaches. Yep, hundred percent. So one of the things that you and I have talked about this a lot is our our idiot trainers yeah Um, they're out there they're out there there's so many of them you and i have talked so much about the importance of mentorship right and so for those of you guys that are listening shane and i was that three years ago that we yeah or is it two at least yeah three years ago like 2018 probably yeah and so i'll backtrack so i was a college coach for seven years four different schools got to learn from so many people moved to new york city got connected with dj sackman if you don't follow dj sackman and his hoop study stuff like it's a must i think he's the best on the planet he had just moved back from california we were in north jersey right outside manhattan and got to learn from him every single day guys like micah lancaster and just got to be around so many good people got to be mentored by them and i soaked Every like, oh man, I squeezed the sponge as much as I could. Like mm-hmm. we, I got to get as much out of this as I can. And so when I moved back to Minnesota, um, four years ago, Shane hit, I said, I need rebounders. And Shane hits me up. He's, I'm like this, where are you from? Sioux Falls. I'm like, yes, dude, ain't <laughs> driving to Champlain. And he, and he did. And so that started this relationship that was built on, that was a one-sided relationship. The same when I started with DJ, it was Here's DJ and yep. here's Reed and Reed's just going to learn everything. And then it was Reed and it's Shane. And now the cool part through this mentorship thing is that Shane and I are here. And so in three years, like he takes stuff from me. I take stuff from him. This mentorship relationship has built up both of us to the point where here's a guy who starts a relationship coming to rebound and now I'm in the gym with guys that Shane's worked with and Tyler Peterson's yeah. like, well, you should do this. And I'm like, man, that's, that's really good. We've built up this relationship through mentorship. Now he's able to mentor other people. I'm able, able to mentor other people and it grows. Yep. And 98% of trainers out there have zero mentorship. 
Zero. I, I work with trainers. Like I had a call from a referee the other night. We're talking and he's like, yeah, this guy called him was like, hey, we should do some do some some like basketball stuff together. He goes, well, I know Reed Osi. We should get him involved. He's like, well, that that's my competitor. I'm like competitor. You, you don't even have a business started yet. Yeah. Like, like, let me help. Right. Like, like, let's start this mentorship process. Let's do this. Or how many of these people on social media go like, and I'm trying to try to not go on a tangent here. How many people on social media are posting these things? And we get high school coaches say to me, I, I'm not messing with trainers. I'm like, like me. Like, yeah. Does that include us? <laughs> does, 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 that, does that include me? And so I want to start this dialogue of with coaches on like critical thinking. Like there are a lot of things. Like I do this full time. You do this full time. Like work. Like yeah. I'm not going to go to my accountant right away and like blitz them on something when I haven't right. spent any time going over it. And that's probably a terrible analogy, but we're on the side of coaches. And so it's like, okay, how do we, how do we go through this? How do we have conversations with trainers to help trainers get better? Yeah. How do we have conversations with coaches to help them think critically? I'm going to get, I'm going to put content out there and you're going to be like, absolutely no way. Well, in one day I might train third graders and then Wancho Hernan Gomez from the Timberwolves two hours <laughs> later. And so my content might be that for youth players and it might be for a guy that just signed a 21 million dollar contract i don't know we're gonna put content out there and just because you see one tweet does not mean a that that's what we did for the entirety of the workout the entire workout or b doesn't like we have this wide net that we're trying to cast to help as many people as we can so it's like how as trainers how do we help coaches just have that dialogue I think uh, it goes both ways. Mentorship is huge in experience. I can speak from, you know, my own experience trying to do, you know, I, I graduated and got into the, the AAU stuff and the training as a side job in 2015. And from 2015 to the moment I met you, I had no idea what I was doing. It was all based on YouTube research. Um, I was not talking to bigger skill development coaches. Um, it was all based on my playing experience and anything that I could scrounge up from the internet. I did not have a single person that I could reach out to and say, Hey, you know, that I actually trusted and, you know, had a, had a, you know, a good resume and and things like that, that I could ask questions with or, or get guidance. So I'm out there Mm -hmm. just doing stuff. And, um, that's kind of a dangerous path because you could kind of go down a a million different avenues and um, actually hurt players development. So, that's a huge part, but I also think like you talked about, if I'm a high school coach or a college coach and I see a bad tweet, I cannot take that so personal that I don't want any of my players to work with somebody else that could probably help them out and probably help me out and take some some work off of, of my plate as well. Um, I just think, it, it, like I said, it goes both ways. Consuming content is huge. Um, making sure that you don't, like I just said, you don't see something and think that's how everybody does it. Or you, like you said, you know, I could be working on um, under dregs or any, you know, something that's maybe a little bit more difficult. And that does not mean that's, that's, that's all we did the whole time. Um, I think people would be surprised if they stepped in a gym with us. um, And even with the pro players, how much fundamental work that we have to do um, that they could take and wouldn't and work with their kids. Um, You have to understand like, 
for Twitter, Instagram, that is pretty much an entertainment app. There are some things that you can post on there to teach people, but that's not what drives really anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of why I'm excited about this Facebook group because that that is a very educational platform or group that we can post stuff to help people and have conversations. On Twitter, if I post something that's super educational, I might get five people to look at it. And one of them, you know, is a bot that's just on there throwing some random hate at me just because that's what people do on Twitter. Yeah. So, it, you know, coming from a content producer side of things, like it, you have to understand what makes sense and why they're putting that stuff out there. Oh, totally. And, and I think it's a fascinating um it's very fascinating to like from building the business standpoint, I would love to post basic content. Like you come in a gym with us, like how many shooting catch and shoot? Like, dude, you got, you got one, maybe two dribbles. Yeah. But we can't show that on social media cause it gets zero engagement. So like, I'm trying to run a business here, then showcase that we're getting players better. So like, how do we have, how do we have conversations with, with these coaches that, Hey, like that we're on your side. Um, but also, and we're kind of going all over the place, but it's, it's this idea of growth. I think from a coach, a trainer, an accountant, a, a spouse, whatever it is. And for me personally, I'm always, I'm always looking to see, read, who are you naturally comparing yourself to? Right. Um, and I think, if I'm here, I got to find somebody that's here. Right. I have to find somebody that's here. And I think so many people are like just thinking about that person. That's just a little bit underneath them. And, and what we naturally do is we find somebody that's like, Hey, I think that person's pretty respectable. I think people Mm -hmm. like that person. I think they're good, but I just kind of know they're never going to catch me. Right. So I want to be like that. And so I want like, I, I don't strive to be, I'm, I'm, I'm chasing DJ mm-hmm. and I'm not just, I'm, I'm going to be myself, but I, I'm like, man, that's an industry leader. So I need to get, I need to go after that. You know, I need to look at some of these other people that are doing things that are really well. What can I learn rather than there's no way I'm going to give Shane Hennon credit for anything that I do <laughs> in a workout. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. I'm like, yo, I got this from Shane. Yeah. Like, why don't we yeah, have those I, conversations? And, and I, coming from the training side, I do think, cause I, I, I'm following all these trainers and I'm like, there's no way if I'm a high school coach and I see that I'm not going to want anything to do with whatever like, you're I, doing, I hate, whatever I hate you're doing too. or whatever, <laughs> any skill development player, skills trainer, they call themselves in my area is doing, I don't want anything to do with them because of this one guy in some random state that has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. So I'm heavy on the, you know, be aware of what you're consuming and what that actually means and not what it seems like. Um, And then just have conversations, just like develop relationships with people. And if you go down that road and you find out like this guy's really not teaching the right way, then don't work with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you find out like, Hey, this guy's actually doing a lot of good stuff. I want my kids to work with them. I think that's where we got to get back to. And I will always lean more on the trainers having to do a little bit more and and developing those relationships. And honestly, if I'm a young trainer out there, that's the biggest thing you can do. Find a mentor and then create relationships with high Mm -hmm. school coaches, because those guys are the guys that have 
you know, the control of the players and uh, we'll tell their players where to go and, you know, they're coaching the players. So two biggest things right now for, for any upcoming trainers is to do that. I think there's a sense of humility that comes with that, that you need to have. Yes. Um, and like, I'm going to work hard. I need like that. DJ was hard on me. Yeah. He'd, he'd be like, dude, don't do this. I'd be like, why? I'm pretty good at it. And he'd be like, yeah, but what, like I, we'd do ball handling stuff. And like I did zoom, I do six weeks. Of, like I'm skilled. I'm like short and stocky and running in <laughs> mud, but I'm a real good stationary ball handler. Right. And I, I would post something and he'd, he'd be like, don't post that. Like, what are you talking about? Like my Instagram's going from a thousand kids to 110,000 kids. Yeah. Like, why can't I post that? And he's like, cause when you post that, you look like you're a player. So then they're going to be like, well, where, like what high level institution did you play at? When you say none, Yeah. they're like, oh, you lose all your credibility. He's like, dude, you're a seven year college basketball coach. And like in the moment, instead of me getting super offended, like I normally would have at that time in my life, I was like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the coach. He's like, there's nobody in the game right now doing what you're doing. So be like, be you, be that guy. Don't be. And so in understanding that this is the best advice that I could have could have ever received. And it completely like yep. changed my, the trajectory of my entire career. I would and be curious to get, offended. I would be curious to get some feedback on coaches on, um, you know, what, what are some of the things that you're afraid of when it comes to having your kids work with a skill development coach or a different program or AU? Um, because I put tweets out like that. And the main feedback I get is the over dribbling, the selfish play. If they're on a team, um, maybe stuff not lining up with the same concepts that they're learning, uh, at their team or anything like that. Um, I do think it'd be interesting to see what people say. Um, because I do think it, you, it's, it kind of goes back to just consuming that content and, um, you see one thing doesn't mean that's how everybody's doing it. And I think, again, that goes back to, like, critical thought. Like, hey, there's a lot of people involved here. Yeah. Like, you think think about how many of these kids, they they work with me, they work with somebody else, they work with their high school coach, yeah. they work with their AAU coach, but sometimes the AAU coach isn't there all the time, so they have an assistant coach that's a dad. And it's like, there's 42 moving parts here. Yeah. Like – and we look for blame. We look for like I, ultimately. I, I think as a as a basketball culture, it's again very difficult because we have parents that say whatever they want. We have administrators with no backbone that don't stand up for their coaches, trying to better kids. But I I think that we need strong coaches. We need coaches that are willing to say like, no, we're not going to do that. Like yeah. this is what's best for our program, and 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 we're going to make kids be tougher. Like yep. we're just like we're gonna hold kids accountable. I absolutely blasted a group of eighth graders last week. I worked with a youth program. You call it ruthless read. I like lost my mind. Yep. And I'd asked them. It was my you know I've worked with them for like three years, and I asked them to you know like first of all we got to be engaged and and earlier this winter they they weren't and I had to get on them and you, you ask them to do something. They don't do it. So if I don't hold them accountable, my word means nothing. So Reed asked me to do something. I don't do it, and he doesn't care. Well, screw it. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. Like, 
and as a coach, as coaches, like I want to encourage coaches to be like, nope, we're going to hold you accountable. I don't care if you're the 14th guy or you're all state. Right. And you'll threaten to quit. Like, like, why are we in this? Like, how do we, how do we develop those relationships with coaches? How do we encourage coaches to, to take a stand on, on some of those yeah, things? For sure. Shane, this has been a blast. I'm yep. super excited to, you know, like we said at the beginning, get this Facebook group off the ground. Um, yeah. We got We have so much new content coming for you guys. I think it's going to be really, really excited. Before before we head out, you got any? Uh, no, I I I'm excited to have more meaningful conversations with you know whether you're a skill development guy or if you're a, a high school call whatever level coach you are youth doesn't matter to have a place where we can um, have a conversation and you can ask questions and get feedback and have direct access to me and to read. And you don't have to put some random question publicly out on Twitter and uh, you can see some more educational stuff, stuff that, you know, we know will help you guys. Um, Yeah. And just have, have meaningful conversations with coaches and develop those relationships because that's what it needs to be. If there's skill development coaches out there working with high school kids, your role is to help those kids help their team. Um, and finding ways to do that is the goal. So I'm excited for it. No, I'm excited too. Uh, for those of you guys, we'll put the link, uh, in the description, but it's facebook.com slash groups slash the film room. Is it group or groups? Do you know? I think it's groups. I think it's groups. Facebook.com slash groups slash the film room. Again, we want this to be a safe space. I put a video out called I hate Twitter. Um, (laughs) The people that like, like normally comment on things um, tend to be bots. People that don't have um, an actual picture. People that I actually want to hear from don't feel comfortable um, so this is going to be a safe space where if you're an idiot, we just boot you. We laughed about it, but we're like, no, seriously, we want this to yep. be a safe space for coaches to ask questions, have dialogue with yep. people that want to do the same thing and grow. So I'm super excited to get this off the ground. Um, hop on and join us. And, and Shane, we will talk to you soon. Perfect. Perfect.